Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the INT Podcast. I've got Tyler here with me today. Hey, man, good to be here. Yeah, good to see you, or good to hear from you, I guess. <laughs> but, um, we're going we're gonna to talk a, a little bit about sports. It's been a while since I did one of these. Uh, I got pretty busy, but I'm going to try to keep up with it a little better from here on out, and hopefully I can start having some more people on as our schedules begin to clear and the semester continues to wind down. But uh, anyways, let's just go ahead and get straight into it. Uh, I've got an opening segment here that I like to call Pick 6. Catchy little name, catchy little play off the INT podcast. But um, basically, the idea of the segment is I'll pick three things to talk about. Tyler will pick three things to talk about, hence the Pick 6 ideology. So do you want to start, Tyler? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think we all know about what happened to the Browns on Sunday got absolutely demolished by the Steelers and wasn't even competitive throughout. Terrible to watch, by the way. That being said, Cleveland is still in a good position to make the playoffs and reach the playoffs for the first time since 2002. Next week, they go on the road to Cincinnati. That's definitely a winnable game. They already beat Cincinnati earlier this season. Then they play the Raiders, Houston, Philly, Jacksonville. All those games are winnable. Even if, that, even if the uh, you factor in the Baltimore and Pittsburgh eggs, Baltimore yeah. and Tennessee they play the next two weeks. Yeah, those teams are probably losses. Even as a Browns fan, I'm gonna be honest here. Yeah, no, I I don't really see y'all beating Pittsburgh or Baltimore. Both of those no. teams are very very good. But outside I'd... of those two teams, y'all do have a pretty winnable schedule. I don't think I don't it's unreasonable to say we go 11-5 or 12-4. I could definitely see that. And if you are if you go 10-6, and 11-5, that's easily a playoff record in the AFC this year. Because the Texans, the only teams competing with y'all at this point are probably the Texans, the Colts, the Ravens, and the Raiders. Because yeah, I think the Steelers are, are going to win the North. I mean... With the three, I mean, because this year they actually include that extra wild card spot. Yeah. I keep, I keep forgetting about that. I'm just thinking about six, so. Yeah, there is a seven. And I, I forgot about that, too, when I was writing down my notes today. But, yeah, there's a seven-team playoff on either side of the National Football League this year, which means that you'll have the four division champions and then three wild card teams, which means in all reality – you could potentially have three teams from the same division get in. Or four teams, rather. It's a possibility. It is a possibility. Very slim possibility. But if there were any year for it to happen, I think it'd be this year in the NFC because the entire NFC West looks competent right now. Yeah. And I got to be honest, like even if you look at AFC North, if you give it a year, hopefully if the Bengals can put some real pieces around Burrow, especially on that offensive line, you can see the AFC North get all their teams in the postseason. I don't feel like that's a stretch. Yeah, potentially. That's for a little further down the road, I would say. Yeah. But moving on to the big college football game from this weekend, Georgia-Alabama. And it followed the same theme as the last few. Georgia played very well in the first half and decided to die in the second half. And I don't think any of that really falls on Georgia. I think that's just the coaching 
genius of Nick Saban. He's an, he is a genius on the football field or on the sideline, I should say. He sees things that no one else in college football history has seen. He is a yeah. great coach. Saban's Saban, you he's in that pantheon of coaches that you can say whether or not he's like the goat. But give tip my hat to Alabama. They played really well. Mac Jones has surprised me this year. I wasn't sure that he would be able to carry the offense and keep them at that level that they were at with Tua, but he's done that. But back to Georgia. Georgia made a major mistake when they let Justin Fields walk. I know based on the information that we had when Fields came in the door, it was really difficult to say that you could let Justin Fields start. I mean, Jake Fromm had just led the team to within a play of a national championship. You're not going to bench the, that guy. Yeah, no way. I agree with you. Uh, based on the information Kirby had at that point, I mean, it's not that Jake Fromm was bad. It's not that Justin Fields was bad. It's that Jake Fromm hadn't done enough to warrant Kirby Smart to make a quarterback change. Yeah, Jake, Jake Fromm had done nothing wrong to that point. And unfortunately for Kirby, he let the wrong guy go, if you ask me, because yeah, Justin not, Fields is going to be an NFL talent. Oh, no, he, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. I saw some I saw some people clamoring for Fromm's to lose his job after the LSU loss that we had in that was that was twenty eighteen actually. But I mean even then it just felt a little you'd be a little be like a little trigger happy to make that call. Just one of those things where it's like you'd be damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah. I gotcha. Um I don't know, man. I really think Georgia's still one of the top four teams in the country. Because if you ask me, I've stood by this since the beginning of football season. I said that one is going to be Clemson when it comes time for the committee to make a decision solely because they played a longer schedule than Ohio State, who's going to be two, if you ask me. Both of those teams will be undefeated conference champions based on their schedules, which pretty much places them automatically one and two. I've said since the beginning of the year that Georgia and Alabama are going to split their inevitable season series because they're going to play another game in the SEC championship. Yeah. If Georgia can find a way to win that SEC championship game, which after last week, I don't know if they can do that, but if they somehow find a way to do it, Georgia will be three and Alabama will be four just based on the fact that Georgia is an SEC champion. Yeah. I have heard I have seen some like reports that said that Georgia's probably gonna start warming up JT Daniels and giving him some more reps. I and mean, that was the guy that we got transferred from USC, so he was a five star talent out of high school and I remember in the recruiting rankings he was like number three for his quarterbacks. So it was like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and then JT Daniels. So he's got there's talent there, so as a Georgia fan, I'd love to see if he's the guy that can actually get us over that hump because Georgia is as close as you can get to beating Alabama without a top quarterback. I would agree with you. In order to beat Saban, you have to have talent at that position. I mean, how, I mean, if we can go back through Saban's time at Alabama, I don't think there's been a team that's beaten them when they're at this dynasty level that wasn't like a dynamic quarterback. Trevor Lawrence beat him. Um, Johnny Manziel. Yeah. 
Uh, there was one year where Ole Miss beat him. That's probably the only year where uh, Chad Kelly, I think it was. I would even say that Chad Kelly had some promise as a quarterback. He had off-the-field issues that totally tanked him. I mean, he was originally at Clemson, but then he had some off-the-field issues that led him to bounce around. Yeah, and then he wound up there. I mean, I guess the last quarterback I could say that didn't have a shred of NFL talent in him that beat Saban was what was it? Bo Wallace, that the almost quarterback when like 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 right as the playoffs started that year where um Dak led Mississippi State to number one. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm blanking on I'm blanking on his first name. I know who you're talking about. Okay. But uh let's go ahead and move on to your next point, which is talking about the NFL draft coming up. Yep. And with the draft this year. Everybody knows that the big prize is, of course, Trevor Lawrence. Um, there's several teams that are obviously in the race to the bottom. But if I was Trevor Lawrence, I would look long and hard about which teams are in this race and whether or not I would declare for the draft. Because so you're saying pressure. you could potentially have like an Eli Manning type situation? You could see that, or you could see him do like what Andrew Luck did and just Stay out, stay another year, and just complete complete a senior season because the Gi- the Jaguars are a mess. The Giants are a complete just joke right now. You know, don't even get a start on the New York Jets. Yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah, if I mean, I don't think Trevor Trevor Lawrence is the type of talent that he's going to go number one pretty much in whatever year he declared. You could have made an argument he was going to be a top 10 pick if he declared as a freshman. I would agree with you. So, I mean, he's in a position where he can be especially picky about where I go and who I want to play for. Yeah, and that's the one thing that I would worry about for Trevor Lawrence is just with that much talent, you know he's just destined to have a good NFL career. But if his career is going to go down the toilet like Sam Darnold's has with New York and like Josh Rosen's has with the Cardinals and the Dolphins. Not to say that either of those guys were on the level of Trevor Lawrence, but both of those guys are extremely talented yeah. and they've just been wasted. I think so. like Trevor Lawrence is going to have a good career, but he, w- I think he definitely wants to be particular about where he goes so he can have a great career. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see where you're coming from there. I don't know. It doesn't look like the Falcons are going to stay in the cellar now that they've gotten rid of Dan Quinn. Yeah. They'll probably end up about 6-10 and 10 is about where I have them. Uh, I don't know if the Jets will ever win a game. Uh, the Giants won one. That's probably all they're going to get. I could, I could see the Giants making – like if Trevor Lawrence does declare, I could see the, the Giants either trading him or if they don't, they probably base it on the argument that we need more time to evaluate Daniel Jones. But when you've got a prospect as as once in a generation as Trevor Lawrence is, I really don't yeah, care about Yeah, no, Jones. that'll be like the Arizona Cardinals situation where they took Josh Rosen and Kyler Murray in back-to-back years. And, of course, there was a coaching change there too when yeah. they fired the head coach and went with Cliff Kingsbury, and Josh Rosen just didn't fit what Kings, Cliff Kingsbury wanted to do, so they shipped him off to Miami. They brought in Kyler Murray. And they're in a very, very good position right now. So yeah. you could argue that that's something that the Giants could do, and the Giants could potentially do a 180. But I really yeah. don't think Joe Judge is the answer there. I think he's no. the first guy that needs to go. 
I mean, I definitely think that this year between all the coaches that'll that'll probably get fired. I mean, you conclude Joe Judge, hopefully Matt Patricia for Detroit. And obviously on top of the ones that are already fired. Whoever the uh well, I don't know the name of the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. I've heard his name being thrown around a lot. Well, so. that's actually one of the points that I have later on in this podcast. So I'm okay. gonna save that for later and yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and move on to a couple of points that I wanted to make here in my pick six. My first one I have titled Die Eagles Die. Uh Carson Wentz has been an absolute disaster this season. And I very concerned about the future of the Eagles. Uh, I don't know how much longer Doug Peterson will last if he doesn't find an answer at quarterback and find a way to find an offensive line that can stay healthy because it's hurting him bad right now. Here's just a look at Carson Wentz's stats this season. 60.6 completion percentage, four touchdowns, seven picks, 930 yards. That's it. I don't know how the Eagles have won a game. They played the Bengals? I think that was a tie, though. Yeah, they tied the Bengals, and they beat the 49ers somehow. But, of course, the 49ers have lost pretty much their entire starting defense. Yeah, they're playing the practice squad, so. Yeah, they don't have a choice after they all the torn ACLs they had in New York. Good Lord. Yeah. But um, I'm really, really concerned about the Eagles and the future there in Philadelphia, which leads me to my second point about the Eagles. Is it time for Jalen Hurts? You could make an argument to put him in. I think at that point you'd have to totally commit to putting the team around Jalen, though. I mean, flip-flopping between quarterbacks is just going to end up dooming both of them. So, I mean, Wentz has talent. There's there's no denying that. I mean, he almost he almost won the MVP the year they won the Super Bowl until he got hurt. And that's the problem with Wentz. He's developed a habit of being injury-prone, and at that position, you really can't deal with that level of uncertainty. Yeah, I would agree. And I just, I don't know. I feel like Carson Wentz has a certain dynamic to him where he's a pocket passer, and there's not much outside of that. Yeah, I think with the with the way the Eagles are structured, especially with the lack of wide receiver talent they have. And, of course, they drafted Jalen Rieger, but he's out for quite a while with his injury. Um, Jalen Hurts, I really do feel like, is the way to go. He just brings a different dynamic to the team. Um, He's already proven himself as a great leader. Going into Oklahoma his senior season and doing what he did there was pretty remarkable. And I – I think he could bring a different dynamic to this Eagles team for the foreseeable future. The fact that he j- dipped into the second round is beyond me with the stats he put up. And he put up a Heisman caliber season. I mean, if you, he, if you take out Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts wins the Heisman that year. So, Well, Justin Fields was pretty close behind him too. Yeah, that, I mean, okay, maybe I should I need to re-say what I said there. Jalen Hurts was putting up a Heisman caliber season if you remove Joe Burrow from the equation. Yeah, I could see. I see where you're coming from now. Yeah. But um, I really do feel like Jalen Hurts' time is coming rather quickly. I feel like if Wentz hasn't turned things around before the bye week, which I think is next week already, isn't it? I'll check for For the Eagles. I think the Eagles' bye week is next week. But I I don't think if Carson Wentz turns it around that Jalen Hurts – is the answer and he will be 
getting some playing time there in Philadelphia. Yeah, their bye week is um, after, like whatever this next weekend's of games is. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll play the Giants, then they play Dallas, and then they have a bye week. Okay, so yeah, like two weeks left before the bye. Yeah, they got two games left. Yeah, I I don't think if Carson Wentz turns it around, he'll be the starting quarterback there for long, and we're gonna see. Carson Wentz's career go down the toilet just like Mitch Trubisky's has. And it's a real shame because Carson Wentz is a talented guy. And I'm sure he can find success in another team's offense that's structured around a pocket passer. But the Eagles just can't have that right now. Yeah. But moving on to my next point. uh, We saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday play the way that we expected them to coming into the season. They were on fire. I don't know what happened. I don't know if Bruce Arians lit into him. I don't know if Tom Brady lit into him. But after the first quarter, man, they were a different team. Rob Gronkowski caught passes. They, he he finally showed up. And he's been I mean, when he came into the year, he even kind of set on record he he was going to be more of a blocking tight end this season. But still, it's good to see him get more involved in the offense. Yeah, it was definitely very good to see. Uh, I think if they want to win games and be dominant the way that they thought they would be coming in, I think they have to get Gronk involved in the passing game. Yeah. But I mean, um, he's the original, like that's the tight end that you can put in as a pass threat. So. But here's yeah. my question to you, Tyler. Okay. Is this the real Buccaneers? Do you think that this is a level of play that they can maintain? Or do you think that this is a case of Tom Brady having Aaron Rodgers' number? I think it's a little bit more on the line of where we could expect the Bucks to play later on, but I don't think they'll be able to drop 40 on everybody every week. I think, I think they're an offense that can walk in somewhere and drop 35 on any defense in the league. And I think that Tom Brady, he's – in an offense now, I mean, you look at the weapons they've got. They've got they've got Gronk and OJ Howard as their tight ends. They've got a stable of running backs, and on the on their for the receiver core, they've got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, two of the most underrated receivers in football, who never got the media attention because they were playing in Tampa Bay. Yeah, they their offense is definitely high powered, but man, their defense is good too. That's and I true. I think if their offense can keep up. Not necessarily put up 40 every week, but at least keep up with what they did this week. I like the Buccaneers to win the NFC. They're, they're a good team. I like Seattle too, yeah. but man, I think I think Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, I, I, think, I think at least an NFC championship is in store for them if they can yeah. keep that up. I think if deciding between Tampa Bay or Seattle, it might end up just coming down to who has home field for that game. I mean, I know we don't have as much of a home field advantage right now due to COVID and all that, but playing if they play that game in Seattle, that's going to be a lot different than going down and playing in sunny Tampa Bay. Yeah, well, moving on to my next point, um, the, the just awful, <laughs> awful Atlanta sports collapses, man. It's terrible. Huh. It's very disappointing to be a sports fan in Atlanta right now. Hey, can I just can I jump in before you talk about the Braves? Yes. I heard all the jokes when the Indians blew a 3-1 lead. 
It's not that funny now, is it? <laughs> no, it's really not. It it's unfortunate. I mean, you can make the excuses that we're young and talented and that we'll be back again, but you had a three one lead. You had to win one game out of three, and you couldn't do it. That's an issue. And that's sure there's a lack of experience that goes into that, but at the same time, you've won games all year long. You've hung with the best of them. You had the second best offense in all of baseball. And of course you were playing against the best offense in all of baseball. But if you can beat the best offense in baseball three times, why wouldn't you be able to beat them a fourth? And that is my issue with what just happened in the NLCS. The Braves could not finish the game. They ran out of gas and it was very, very disappointing to watch, but I do know that we'll be back eventually. Uh, The biggest issue in terms of this team is the refusal from ownership to spend money. They don't want to spend money to bring in anybody. A lot of people say that the Braves don't have the cap space to bring in people, but let's, let's look at it this way. You've got, if you get rid of four players on this Braves roster, you can clear up $36 million. Those four players are Cole Hamels, Ender Inciarte, Mike Fultonevich, and Nick Markakis. Four guys who either didn't play or were inconsistent and didn't bring anything to the table for the Braves this year. You can cut $36 million. You could go out and sign. Trey Turner or Nolan Arenado with that much much extra money because Acuna and Albies both don't they aren't to the point where they can sign big league contracts yet. If we're in win now mode, those anybody at third base or shortstop would be very helpful for the Braves right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think one of the big things that happened to you guys this season, you had a lot of injuries to the pitching staff. Soroka got hurt early on, and I've noticed that that Braves management. They handed out a lot of one-year contracts this year, which, given with the pandemic and all that, I can see why they, I can see why they would try and be a little hesitant and not try and tie anything long-term to anybody that wasn't like a sure thing. I mean, the only big contract that I remember that was thrown out this year was to Mookie Betts, and I mean, of course, you're gonna give Mookie a blank check. Well, Cole, Cole Hamels was the highest-paid player on the team this year. And yeah. he pitched three innings. That's just that's an issue. That's that's a poor judgment on the part of ownership. But uh, that being said, they need to go out and spend money, and their first priority needs to be re-signing Marcelo Zuna because he fits in perfectly with that team. He's definitely made up for the loss of Josh Josh Donaldson really well. Absolutely, and then. Of course, on the other side of the Atlanta sports spectrum, you have the Falcons fiasco. Uh, do you think they're riding the ship, or do you think that this weekend was a fluke against Minnesota? I think it was a – there's a part of me that wants to say that they're going to right the ship, quote-unquote, but even then, riding the ship would only get to about 7-9. and nine. I just think that Minnesota, they're, they're reeling this season. They had a, they've had a lot of close losses that, this early on that's – they're probably not going to be at that level. They traded Stephon Diggs in the offseason. And while they did, excuse me, they, while they did pick up Justin Jefferson and he's got a lot of promise, this year is just not going to be it for Minnesota. 
they might just punt their losses and and just cut it. Um, I hate to like totally jump off topic, but I just got a notification from Bleacher Report that the Rays' number one overall prospect, uh, shortstop Wander Franco, he's he might be getting called up for the World Series. That's interesting. That is very interesting over in the MLB. Uh, speaking of MLB, just real quick, who do you have winning the World Series? Um, if I had to bet money on it, I would pick the Dodgers, but I'm pulling for the Rays. I actually like the Rays even if I put money on it to beat the Dodgers. Yeah. The Rays the Rays made the Braves look silly all year long. And the Braves for three games made the Dodgers look silly. Yeah. I think the Rays are a very talented team. And I think they do have the potential to go into the World Series and take down the Los Angeles Dodgers. I d I wouldn't put it past them. I think that I'll I'll tip my hat to their management and their front office. I mean, they know how to spend money like nobody they get the most for their dollars. I mean, like they've they had the twenty eighth highest payroll in, in all of baseball. I mean, it's the lowest, like the like for ranking wise, it's the lowest payroll that's made the World Series since the Rays last made the World Series. I did see a stat about that. I saw that Mookie Betts and Clayton Kershaw make more money than the entire Rays roster combined. Yeah, it's. I mean, personally, like when I, I look at Tampa Bay and as a Cleveland fan. And seeing our ownership be allergic to spending any sort of money. I just wish they would just go out and try and pluck some people from Tampa Bay's front office. If your ownership is going to try and be cheap, then go out and hire people from the organization that knows how to win and be cheap. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to your defense of Baker Mayfield. Yes. All right. Now... Let's be honest, folks, Baker was absolutely terrible this week. Threw two picks, barely threw over 100 yards. Did not play like Baker Bayfield I know and love. However, I will defend this man. This is the hill I will die on. Because of that, I'd like to bring some context to the situation. Take it back to when he was drafted. There was a big quarterback class. It was Baker, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. The two quarterbacks in that group that are performing far better than Baker right now are Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Even No Browns fan can honestly look at you in the eye and say that they aren't. And I believe that that is because those two quarterbacks were drafted into organizations that had stability and especially in the case of Lamar Jackson, had a winning culture. Josh Allen, while he didn't have the winning culture that Baltimore has, they had Sean McDermott already there. They had a front office that was committed to building around him. And, and, then, and then when you look at the quarterbacks who haven't been playing as well, such as jo- Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, those guys have dealt with constant instability, poor head coaching hires, Josh Rosen's probably going to be out of the league soon. And Sam Darnold has Adam Gase for a head coach. I mean, you can't you can't thrive at this level with, with instability. And Baker Mayfield has had the most instability of any quarterback, arguably in league history. While Stefanski has been the right hire so far, this is his fourth head coach, and he hasn't even gone through three years. 
even for Cleveland, that is an instability that is unparalleled. Exec executively wise, we have not we haven't done right by Baker from step one. And you can look and say, oh, we've you got Odell, you've got Jarvis, you've got Austin Hooper, you've got Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Totally agree. We've got all the offensive weapons skill-wise to make it work. But the problem was, in after Baker's rookie year in the offseason, John Dorsey built the offense the wrong way. In order to have a successful quarterback, you need to build from the inside out. That was what the Ravens did, and that was what the Bills did. Both those teams are in far better situations than the Browns. And the trade that really sunk Baker's second, second season beyond hiring Freddie Kitchens was when we traded Kevin Zeitler for Olivier Vernon. Zeitler is a top offensive guard in the NFL, and that tanked our offensive line. Um, let me double check my notes, make sure I don't quote anything wrong. But Baker, as much as I love the guy, he had a lot, lot more say in the head coaching starts than somebody in his position probably should. Most quarterbacks that are given that type of power within an organization, look at Aaron Rodgers. He had he had a little bit more input in the Packers search when they went and hired Lafleur. Rodgers earned the right to have that input. He's won MVPs. He's won divisions. He's won playoff games. He's won Super Bowls. Rodgers only won one right now. But the point being, you have to have you have to earn the right to do that. Baker hadn't done that yet. He had led the Browns to seven to a seven eight one season, which unfortunately for Browns fans was a new high. God, I hate that. And even more, let's take a back and look at the people that Baker Mayfield was compared to on draft night. His high-end comps were to Brett Favre and Drew Brees. People have complained that Baker is a turnover machine right now. And see the stats? I see why you think that. But let's compare Baker Mayfield to his comps of Favre and Brees. Through their first 34 games as a starter, Baker has thrown 37 interceptions. Brett Favre threw 40, and Drew Brees threw 34. He, they also have similar completion percentages. Baker and Bayfield and Brett Favre threw 62%. Drew Brees threw for 60%. And we, high, we praise Drew Brees for his accuracy. Baker Mayfield, up to this point, also has a higher passer rating than both of them. Baker's passer rating is 86.7 compared to a 77 for Brett Favre and a 77.2 for Drew Brees. Now, I believe that the problem and why Baker is getting so much criticism right now is because of the way that he's carried himself throughout his career. Baker has higher expectations. He's won the Heisman Trophy. And in college, he, he routinely beat other quarterbacks that are lighting up the NFL. He beat Patrick Mahomes every year in, in college, and now Mahomes is top of the world. But more than that, Baker's personality has, at this level, started to bite him in the ass. I mean, we can go back through all the 
stuff that he had in college, the planting the flag at Ohio State or the cross-grabbing incident against Kansas, calling out Hugh Jackson after Hugh Jackson left to join the Bengals staff. I mean, Baker, Baker's personality doesn't give him a lot of room for error. It, go, it can work when things are clicking and everybody's, everybody's playing well, but the way things are in Cleveland, we just we're not able to, to live with that right now. Yeah, those are very good observations about the situation in Cleveland. Uh, I do agree with you on most of the stuff you've said. I don't necessarily think that it's time for Cleveland to move on from Baker Mayfield. I think that he does have a lot of room to grow. You see what happened to Drew Brees. Drew Brees, when he was with the Chargers, did nothing. He was irrelevant. But as soon as he went to New Orleans, man, he's been arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. You could put Drew Brees in the top five of your quarterback discussion, and I think you've made, you can make a fair case for it. Yes. And I think – I honestly don't think that Baker Mayfield will ever get to that level. But he is a decent quarterback. He is an NFL-level starting quarterback, and he just needs some time to settle in. And like you said, his personality doesn't give him room for error. If he cooled the Jets a little bit, I think people would be a lot more understanding of some of the mistakes he's making right now and understanding that he is still a very young quarterback in this league. I mean, right now – I mean. Like I said earlier, with Stefanski being his fourth head coach, I mean, especially if you look at um, like the two losses that we've had this year to Baltimore and to Pittsburgh, Lamar's had continuity throughout his career. He drafted, same management group drafted him. He's had the same head coach, the same offensive coordinator. He's only had to master one playbook. Baker had to master the Hugh Jackson and uh, Todd Haley playbook that did not play to his strengths at all. Then he had the Freddie Kitchens playbook, both as an offensive coordinator and a head coach. And now he's got Kevin Stefanski's system, which, from what I've seen so far, is the hire that the Browns need. Stefanski's been making good efforts to focus the, the offense to Baker's strengths, relying on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, of course, when he's healthy, to set up play-action plays and bootleg, 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 yeah words but i think we can finally say that baker is in a position where it's put up or shut up time with stefanski i wouldn't punt him after this year but next season if he hasn't taken a step forward you could make the case to move on from baker and dylan you know me and you know i love baker but if it's got to be what's to, best for business. You have to do it at that point. Mm-hmm. <sighs> right. So moving on from the depression that is the Cleveland Browns, the factory of sadness. Hey, we're still uh, I've, got a, I've got a couple points that I want to make about free agency uh, in the MLB. Uh, I talked about this earlier just a little bit about the Braves' salary cap situation. Uh, I heard it on the radio today. Who says that the Braves have to spend like we're a small market team? Because it seems like that's the mindset of Alex Anthopoulos and Liberty Media at the moment, is that because we're a small market, we have to spend like a small market. We can't spend the money that the Dodgers do and the Yankees do to bring in all this talent and assemble a big-time roster. 
the roster we have right now without spending the money that the Dodgers and the Yankees have is phenomenal. We went further than the Yankees did this year, and we were one win away from going further than the Dodgers did. What the Rays did this year is what the Braves hope to do in the near future. And that being said, I also touched on the fact that the Braves can cut $36 million in salary in cutting just four players who contributed little to nothing to the team. If you cut that much salary, you could go out and sign a guy like Nolan Arenado at third base or a guy like Trey Turner at shortstop. And yeah, we have Dansby at shortstop, but you could move Dansby to third base just as easily. In my opinion, Trey Turner is a true shortstop. Dansby can play anywhere on the left side of the infield diamond. And I really do think that that's a possibility that the Braves need to weigh is trading Austin Riley, who looks to be a very solid prospect and a very good young player, to get some experience because we're in win-now mode. We don't need all of this developing talent. We need the experience to get us through these playoff series against the Dodgers and against the Yankees. Look at Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta's been a is a growing city. You look at the airport; it's very big, and we've got all these big events that have been coming into the city. And the national championship was in twenty for college football was in twenty eighteen. You had the Super Bowl. A lot of big money's coming into the city and the Braves as this as this money's coming in they're becoming a hotter and hotter ticket so you've got the money to spend by no means I agree with you you don't need to throw your money around like the Dodgers the Yankees or the Red Sox those franchises can just print money and they'll be fine you can you can't afford to go out and spend the money and bring in the people that you need if you're, if I am gonna trade Austin Riley though, I would definitely look at trying to bring in a pitching prospect, bring bring in a pitcher. I don't know, I don't know who in the pitching world is up for up for trade. I mean, I know. Oof. I would like to touch on that. Um, Trevor Bauer is a free agent this offseason. Yeah. I would love to have Trevor Bauer as an Atlanta Brave, but the thing about it is. I think that our pitching rotation is going to be phenomenal in the coming years. You've got Soroka at one, Freed at two. Ian Anderson as a rookie has proven that he could be a number two guy, but he's our three guy because our number one and two are that good. And then Bryce Wilson in the playoffs against Clayton Kershaw, of all people, proved that he can be a starting pitcher in this league also. So, So that only leaves us with having to find a number five guy. And bringing in a guy like Trevor Bauer, I'm okay with that. But I would personally rather have some depth in the lineup, and I would rather have that star guy on the other side of the diamond across from Freddie Freeman. I think it would help tremendously, especially if the National League keeps the DH because Ozuna fits really well in that spot. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. I think if I mean if you if the Braves are trying to play like the Rays do, I mean. Maybe you don't even need to go for a big acquisition like Trevor Bauer. I mean, the Rays, they signed Charlie Morton to $15 million a year for two years, and he almost won the Cy Young uh, last season. And he's, you know, Charlie Morton, he won his third game seven um, on Saturday. He's the first pitcher in Major League history to win three game sevens. You can find a quality 
pitcher to complete that rotation. And you don't need to break the bank like I think you would for Bauer. So I think Trevor Bauer is probably going to be one of the, the, that guy. I think Scott Boris is his agent, so you know the price is just going to be a little bit more more to stomach than it would be otherwise. Yeah. But um, let's go ahead and move on from baseball to football again and talking about the whole Falcons debacle. We touched on this earlier as well, but don't be fooled by that win over the Vikings this weekend. They, the Falcons have done too much damage to themselves to turn things around and finish the season with a winning season. Their remaining schedule is just too difficult, if you ask me. I think they have a good opportunity to rattle off some wins in the next few weeks. You've got Detroit coming into town next Sunday. I think you can win that game. Then you go to Carolina to play the Panthers. I think you can win that game as well. And then you've got Denver, the Broncos. I think that's a win. And then you've got the Saints in New Orleans. That one's a toss-up to me. It seems like every year the Falcons and the Saints end up splitting the season series. And I do like the Falcons to beat the Saints the first time around. That's in New Orleans. And for some reason, I feel like the Falcons play better on the road when they're against New Orleans just because they hate them that much. <laughs> so I would say the Falcons can rattle off a five-game winning streak. Boy. But then after that, it's catastrophic, really. I don't think you can beat the Raiders. I think the Raiders are a very good team this year. I don't think you beat the Saints again. I, I gave them a win against the Chargers, but then their last three games of the season, the Buccaneers, the Chiefs, and then the Buccaneers again. You're not going to win any of those. No. And that leaves them with a record of 6-10, and 10, which means that yet again the Falcons will be drafting 10, 11, or 12. And they will screw themselves out of a quarterback or any skilled position player yet again. I think if they go if they go to the record exactly the way that you're saying it, the only quarterback prospect that would that might be available is Trey Lance, and that guy's is the boomer bust prospect of this of this. He's draft. the Carson Wentz. Yeah. I mean, I do think I do. I think I could see the Broncos beating the Falcons. I mean, Drew Lock. I think Drew Lock's back from injury now. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um. They beat the Patriots today on Brandon McManus's six field goals. That's not saying much beating the Patriots anymore. Nah. As much as I still getting used to saying that like that, but I think if the Falcons go on that big win streak, it's gonna be detrimental to the franchise for the next ten years. Because you've got you'll have a draft position that you pointed at earlier. But that win streak it's going to give the uh, whatever the front office is at this point. I know Dimitrov got fired. A lot more confidence that we say, hey, maybe the interim head coach that you guys got. Um, I don't. What's his name? Raheem Morris. Okay, Raheem Morris. That coach Morris might be the guy. Most most of the time, interim head coaches are not the guy. We saw that with Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland. He was the offensive coordinator. And then he became the interim head coach, right? Yeah, yeah I don't. No, he, he was not. The, he never became the interim head coach. Greg Williams was our interim head coach. Um, Freddie was promoted to interim offensive coordinator. And then we decided to put our foot in our mouth and hire Freddie Kitchens as the head coach. <laughs> but yeah. uh, moving on from that whole conversation, 
to the end of the Dan Quinn era. Uh, I just have a couple things to say on that. I haven't had the chance to speak my mind on Dan Quinn. Is it good? So here it is. Dan Quinn, as good of a man as he is, was not a good football coach. He created a culture where the players were comfortable with each other. But not only were they comfortable with each other, they were comfortable with losing. And if you are in a mindset where you are comfortable with losing in a professional sport of any kind, you are not going to be successful. After that Super Bowl, we heard players say, oh, yeah, that was, that was a tough loss, but we'll get them next year. You know, it's okay. Nobody expressed anger or sadness. They all blew it off. And you saw them come out two years in a row and go seven and nine, seven and nine. And you're about to see this team go six and ten. Maybe even worse. I cannot see them doing any better than that. And that's all because of Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn put us in a position where these players have no desire to go out there and win. They have a desire to go out, have fun, impress nobody, and make their money and go home. That's all they want to do. And it's a real shame that Dan Quinn couldn't make things work in Atlanta, but it was time to go. There, there was nothing left for him here. The fans despised him for this culture that he put in place, his brotherhood, as he calls it. it you know, the, the brotherhood didn't work. We'll put it that way. A lot of, um, of what Georgia fans thought of Mark Richt at the end of his time at Georgia. Great man. If Mark Rick said, I would like to come to your house for Sunday dinner, I would invite him, give him a seat at the table. But he is not the guy that I want to lead my team if I'm my goal is to win. And at the professional level, you have to be focused on winning. And you could have made the argument that Dan Quinn should have been fired after the Super Bowl because no coach should blow that situation. I don't care you're going I don't care that you're going against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You don't blow that lead. And then the next season they bring him back, they make the playoffs, they go up against an injured Eagles squad. Carson Wentz is hurt. You're going up against Nick Foles at quarterback. Fourth and goal, they get down to the goal line. They run four pass plays. I honestly think the the coaching staff should have been fired after that. I most certainly agree with you there. But in an effort to wrap this up pretty quick, I'm going to go ahead and move into my fantasy football stardom and sit them for week seven. Uh, pretty much immediately after Monday Night Football is over. But uh, I've got three from each position to start and to sit. So I'll start with quarterback. I like Kyler Murray against Seattle. I like Deshaun Watson against Green Bay, and I like Justin Herbert against Jacksonville. Those three guys are guys that I would definitely look to start this week. Uh, running back, I like Kareem Hunt against Cincinnati. I like Ezekiel Elliott against Washington, whatever you want to call him. And I like James Robinson against the Chargers. He's, he's hit or miss, but I really think this week is a hit against – a weak Chargers defense. They're injury depleted. I think James Robinson has the opportunity to erupt this week like he did against Miami. Yeah. Uh, at, at the wide receiver position, I like Devontae Adams versus the Texans. They're depleted defensive back core. I like DK Metcalf against Arizona because he is the second coming of Calvin Johnson, and he is proving that this year. And I like Chase Claypool, the rookie for Pittsburgh, out at Tennessee. 
Chase Claypool has really impressed me this year. He's given the Steelers a whole different dynamic that we've never seen the Steelers have. They run a lot of wildcat with him now, so I would really look out for Chase Claypool to have a couple touchdowns, some yards through the air, and some yards on the ground. And at tight end, I like Hayden Hurst, the Falcons' tight end, against the Lions. I like Will Disley, the Seattle tight end, against Arizona. And I like Jared Cook, the Saints' tight end, against Carolina. And then the quarterbacks that I like to sit in Week 7, Ryan Tannehill against Pittsburgh for obvious reasons, Joe Burrow against Cleveland, again, for obvious reasons, and Drew Brees against Carolina. I just don't like Drew Brees at all this year. I think he's hit or miss as well. Alvin Kamara has carried that team pretty much all season, and until Michael Thomas is back and Drew Brees can throw his little five-yard dump-off slants to him, Drew Brees is not going to be a fantasy productive quarterback. Uh, running back, I would avoid Clyde Edwards-Alaire for now just because I don't know what they're going to do with Le'Veon Bell, so I would avoid him as well. Uh, Raheem Mostert against New England. Although New England's offense is struggling, their defense is still decent. I would sit Raheem Mostert this week. And then Chris Carson against the Arizona Cardinals. I think Russell Wilson's going to air it out against a weak pass defense, get the job done against the Cardinals. And at tight end, I don't like Rob Gronkowski against the Raiders. I think he'll go back to being a blocking tight end like the Buccaneers had intended him to be. If he doesn't, though, I would start him for the rest of the year because he's one of Tom Brady's favorite targets. Uh, Jimmy Graham, the Bears tight end against the Rams. I don't like him as well because that Rams defense is solid this year. And then Eric Ebron against Tennessee. I think that Big Ben's going to look to his receivers more than he looks to his Tennessee he has for most of the year and Eric Ebron again will not be a super productive tight end so that's I think all the time that we're gonna have for this week thank you Tyler for joining me hopefully we'll see you again always and uh thank you guys for listening I will talk to you guys next time peace